Welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is, of course, the peak body representing the chiropractic profession in this great country of ours, and I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Our CAA podcast will explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, both here and internationally. We'll be reviewing the latest research to see how we can continue to use the evidence base to drive clinical practice. We'll also explore a range of ways in which chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice and achieve the best possible outcomes for their patients and their community. Now, if there's one thing that the CAA does well, it's to put on a great annual conference. This year's event in Cairns is no exception. And if you're lucky enough to be a part of this 2016 conference, you'll probably have the opportunity to learn a whole lot of great clinical stuff from today's podcast guest, Dr. Gary Kerwin. A native of South Africa, Gary is an Anglo-European College of Chiropractic graduate and has practiced both in the UK and South Africa. Gary is also one of the new foot leveler speakers and the topic that we'll be discussing today is proprioception from the feet up. Hi Gary, welcome to the CAA podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, it's a great to have you here, and, and especially good because I know um, time's a little bit jumbled for you at the moment. You're traveling all around the world, but you are at least in a time zone a little bit closer to, to, to me now. Whereabouts are you? Uh, currently, I'm sitting in my hotel room in Singapore. And, and is that, are you actually doing any work in Singapore, or is this, or is this just en route to Australia for the conference? Yeah, this is just en route. I um, I wanted to break up the the monster flight because it's it's just nuts when you look at how long it takes to get to uh, to Australia from the UK. And uh, I've never been to this side of the world, so I thought, why not get to see uh, Singapore at the same time? To see, us, be a bit of a tourist. Exactly. Well, well, us Aussies are used to that long travel, but we understand it's a very, very long way. And if you can break it up and have a bit of holiday time in between, that's that's terrific. Now, um, maybe what we could do, you're, you're obviously, um, you know, speaking with uh, uh, foot levelers now and presenting some of their seminars. And it's been my experience with uh, the foot levelers guys that have come out before, Mark Charette and others, that there's always been a lot of really good, solid use on Monday type of information. I'm assuming this is the sort of stuff that we're going to be hearing at the conference from you. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm an action guy. You know, um, whenever I go to any sort of um, continuous learning events, it's nice to get theory, but at the end of the day, we're chiropractors. We use our hands and we see patients and you want to start implementing theory um, into reality at the same time. So, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely more, what can you actually start doing? from Monday, what can you start observing? What can you start playing around with patients to try to get better outcomes? So today's a, a, what we thought we could do is have a, a just a quick overview and, and people who either can't be at the conference or, or maybe will be at the conference and, and just want to get a little bit of a, uh, a heads up. Let's, let's perhaps start, let's, let's review the anatomy, physiology of feet and gait and in particular how this affects proprioception. Okay, well, so with our foot, um, well, we've got two feet, hopefully. Um, some people don't. But ideally, what's going to happen is you've got a whole whole lot of bones in your foot, um, 26 bones and 33 joints. And a fun fact is that 25% of all the bones in our body are actually in our feet. So we've got a whole lot of stuff down there. And as chiropractors, maybe um, we haven't focused sometimes on the feet. You know, we, we look at the structure higher up in the system. But at the end of the day, from a proprioception point of view, the first part of your body 
that is in contact with this world to fight the effects of gravity is your feet. So feet are super important from a proprioceptive point of view because it's the information that comes up from the ground there that um, helps to, helps our central nervous system um, just balance in this world. Because at the end of the day, it's gravity is the biggest force that we have to fight every single day, all the time. It just doesn't stop. And um, so when we need to ambulate, when we need to move around, the feet are, are vital for that. So one of the really important, I guess, um, uh, mechanisms for, for propagate is the, the windless mechanism. Can you explain this a bit further, how we test it and why this function is so important? Sure. So um, the windless mechanism was um, something that a guy called Hicks back in the 50s came up with. And it's just the idea of how does the foot actually go um, propulse through through space uh, when we take off. Um, so what happens there is it's it's a winding mechanism where it's supposed to help pull two parts together. And in this case, it's when you're going through your gait cycle and you need to toe off. And to be able to lift the heel off the ground, your, your plantar fascia needs to be pulled. So your heel gets closer to your first MTP joint. And that helps to tighten the arch and lift the arch back up again. And then you're able to toe off efficiently. And this is uh, during the gait cycle. Um, so that that's the the, the wind, windless mechanism when it's the the tightening of this. It's, think of it like um, I like to think of it as as like someone's got a lever and they're they're winding it up and the two and the rope is pulling the arch back up again. So as the arch is getting deformed and it's it's um, going through its pronation effect during gait, it needs to be able to come back up again so that we can actually have a, a strong foot that we can push off from with our toes. So it's literally a case where you go from that mid stance going into that toe off position. The uh, the the arch stretches, and it's is it like a recoil type thing that helps propel propel you forward? Yeah, yeah, that's it's a nice way to think of it. That yeah, it's like a sort of a spring, but um, they don't say it's it's a spring. It's more like a wind up during yes. the gait cycle. Yeah, which is a little bit different from the, the running style where they believe it's more of a spring mechanism that happens a part of that running style too. So, so how do we test this practically and what do we look for if this windless mechanism isn't functioning correctly? Well, I, I really just look at um, how good a foot can function both. And the way I look at that is uh, more structural and functional testing. So structural testing might be um, just say like a foot scan. Um, I use the foot level as a scanning system and you can actually just see when a, when a patient's in a weight bearing stance, like any difference between the two, two feet. And if there's any excessive um, sort of weight bearing effects, uh, rolling another foot, toe pressures, all of that. But then not only do you want to use the scans, but just look at the patient when they're standing in front of you and you can see is the one foot rolling in a bit more than the other one? So are they pronating maybe a little bit more than the other side? So already there's a, there's a sort of a weakness in the, in the structure of the foot there. And then what I like to do too is actually see, I know it's, it's the windless mechanism is more passive, but in what I actually like to see, does, can a patient actually extend the big toe actively? So when they're standing in front of you, or even seated, the brain works differently in different positions. Um, and I like to show people how, how that happens. But so if they say they're guessing if they're standing in front of you when you're doing your physical um, findings, and actually just ask them, can you lift your big toe up? 
and not move the other four toes. And that just messes people up. They just right. some, so many people just can't isolate their big toe and just extend it, hmm. and then just looking for the difference between the two toes too. Um, and then so they might do that when they're standing, and of course everyone's looking down at their toes, and they just they can't. Most of the time they just look at it and they can't actually move their toes. It's but you know the toes are just like the fingers. You should be able to move them. Some people move them better than others, but definitely you should be able to isolate your big toe and keep the other four toes on the ground. So already if I can see they've got an issue there, I know they've got a clumsy foot. So it's like a clumsy piece of meat mm. that's hitting the ground. And then I, uh, I already have my suspicions that, yeah, this could be a part of the issue as to why this person's come in today with their knee pain or their hip pain or their back pain. Um, you can then also, when they're, when they're down on your table, is actually just passively move their big toe around and see and feel for the differences between the two sides and see can they actually tap into that full extension range that's needed to, um, to be able to go through the gait cycle. Otherwise, another way to do it too is um, you can have them with their foot on the ground and then just start raising their heel off the ground. And with the windlass mechanism, that's, that's activating it. So what should happen is that as they start lifting the heel off the ground, you should see the medial arch start forming. So they go right. from maybe a, a slightly flatter mid-stance phase, and as they start raising it, you should see at the point when the when the medial arch starts forming again. And then you, you'll notice differences maybe between the two sides there too. It's the interesting thing about doing a, an audio podcast. I'm sure that uh, most of our listeners right now are doing exactly what I'm doing and trying to individually lift my um, first uh, toe and trying try to keep the other four on the ground. It's not easy. I don't think I'm too clumsy, but I'm, I'm sort of getting it up there. Um, yeah. And for all those that are driving, wait till you stop the car, by the way. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the other way that I've seen that tested is passively where they pull the big toe up. Is that a valid test or is it more better to do it actively as you described? Well, no, the, it, passively is, is the mechanism. So that's how it's going to work at the end of the day because you're, you're not actively extending your toe to go through your gait cycle no. in that case. But I still find if the... If the patient can't mobilize that big toe, there's an issue structurally through that that area anyway. Yes. So it's at the end of the day, I, I feel we're, we're functional beings that need to adapt to stresses in this world. And so if they're not able to respond by moving their toes like that, then it's a clumsy foot. Sure. So it's not it's not going to work efficiently. Yeah. So in the case of that passive test, then rather than the active one, a bit similar to lifting the uh, the heel up. If you're lifting the big toe again, you should see the medial arch forming. Is that is that what you would expect to happen? Yes. Yes. So as that as you're sort of extending the big toe passively, it's going to wind up that plantar fascia, which is what the windless mechanism is, where it brings the calcaneus and your first MTP joint closer together, which starts forming the arch. And are you looking for that to engage pretty much straight away and then looking at symmetry or is there other things that you look for there? I, put, I, t I tend to more look for symmetry. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm more of a symmetry person. Um, it's, it's, it's what my own health journey too, which I'll be going through in the talks to how I ended up at this stage where I feel those subtle differences between the left and the right can make a big difference in a person's life. So I've seen all kinds of feats. Um, sure, you, get, you can get some textbooks, but then you get some outliers too. And at the end of the day, as long as 
you sort of see that symmetry between the two sides and the person appears to function well, then that's what you need in life. I know one of the things you'll be covering in your talk is uh, hallux valgus and rigidus. And of course, here the windlass mechanism is going to be, uh, I would imagine, significantly affected because you just don't have the flexibility of the big toe. Um, what are the special things that you know you might do to help people with those sorts of problems? Yeah, so that's why I, l I love the big toe. Um, I spend quite a bit of time actually talking about it. Nice. Um, and it's, it is because of that too, because... I mean, I, I'm sure most chiropractors have, have looked down to the foot of the table on, on their patients and they can see that deformity down there so that the patient's got the bunion, which is the hallux valgus. But then there's also times when patients are developing OA, like an osteoarthritis um, yeah. change in the big toe joint. So that's the rigidus part. Um, and that's, so you, that's also where I like the difference between the active and the passive testing. So actively, if a patient's able to move their toes, but then passively, I, um, I should be able to move it a little bit more. And you can, and it's just, again, looking for those differences between the left and the right side and just feeling and, and seeing how the patient functions there. Um, but it just gives me another input as to potentially, this is why the patient say, lower back pain's my favorite one, why they came in today with lower back pain, because that left big toe just doesn't move properly. Yeah. So could that be contributing to the altered gait or some compensation in their system? I, I believe so. So uh, clearly there's a link, and I think all chiropractors would understand this, between biomechanics of the feet and uh, biomechanics of the spine. Uh, what, about, what about other issues in terms of, um, I know you've quoted studies uh, that link the use of orthotics to changes in heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen consumption, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, most of the research is when they're trying to look at what happens in our feet and um, should you maybe use orthotics or not, have tried to use uh, metabolic cost. So things like heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen consumption, uh, just to try to figure out does having flat feet mean it's more taxing to the body? Uh, it uses more energy to, to walk. And the, the answer is yes. So the, the, this particular study was back in 88, and the guys took uh, people with flat feet, and they, they determined they were flat through x-rays in this case. But then what they did was they, they just made them walk on a treadmill, and they, they were checking their BP, their heart rate, and um, their oxygen consumption. And then they started putting them on an incline. So they started, it's like walking uphill. And they tested them with a little bit and then a bit more. And they wanted to see the, the difference between the two stages. And then what they could see, of course, is that people with flat feet, when you make them walk uphill, it's, it's harder for them. So they mm -hmm. start consuming more oxygen and their, their BP goes up and their heart rate goes up. But then what they wanted to find was, okay, so we can see it's harder for this person. So if we put an, an orthotic in, does that make a difference for this person? Because the theory is, well, they've got a flat arch, so potentially putting an orthotic would help. And in this case, it did. So they found that actually it was less taxing. So these um, parameters, which were heart rate, blood pressure, and oxygen consumption, improved when you put an orthotic in that patient. So the, so the thinking is that, yeah, so if you've got an inefficient gait, that putting an orthotic in that person's uh, shoes could help them waste less energy during their day-to-day -day living. That's pretty compelling stuff, really. I mean, it's not 
I don't think a, an unrealistic jump or a difficult jump for uh, patients to understand how if the mechanics are making uh, an area of the body work so much harder that you're gonna be using more energy, that you're more likely to get achiness in the legs and the back and, and clearly the body will have to work harder for those other things. But I guess it's probably something that um, we need to be communicating that message a little bit more in terms of, you know, a poorly functioning body is a body that's just going to be much more taxing in terms of uh, overall well-being. So uh, probably a good research to be uh, throwing out there every so often when you're speaking to patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, th this ties in with my um, my uh, talk where I'll be talking about uh, how I see us as batteries. So we're, we're energy units and okay. how we start the day. So um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give it away now, but basically the way I like to look at us is that when we wake up in the morning, do you call phone, what do you is it cell phones or mobile phones that you call them well, in Australia? Well, look, well, we watch enough American television to recognise cell phones, but yes, we're definitely mobile phones. Okay, so um, the way yeah, it's the same as the UK. So the the, the way I like to look at look at us is like a mobile phone battery. Then, yep. so some of us in the morning will wake up with a hundred percent charge when, with a nice big green bar, yep. but then other people might only be seventy five, fifty percent. Hopefully you're not in the red zone already when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. But that's what that's what patients are, are doing in life. So they'll wake up and they'll hopefully be fully charged. And if they're not, it's because they, they haven't got uh, efficient recovery systems. But then a part of that process is then if you're – that's the way I like to explain to patients. I think they can relate to that easier where they think, yeah, I just – I don't wake up with full energy. And then I go, well, so then when you're walking too, you can imagine if you're walking inefficiently how that's draining your battery. Mm. It's like having your Google map on all the time and it's trying to find your location and it's just eating away at that battery. And then you're only left with – enough energy to try to keep the vital organs going, but you've got no energy for, you know, uh, ability to think well, to uh, function at a high level. That's a terrific analogy. I think I'm going to start using that one. There you go. Mon Monday night use, a uh, Monday uh, practice usefulness right there. Perfect. Mm -hmm. um, now, another big subject um, is the, the uh, and this I guess applies to orthotics and also footwear in general, is rigid versus flexible, structured versus unstructured. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, when when it comes to footwear, yeah, footwear and also orthotics. I know, obviously, um, uh, the foot level style are very much into uh, sort of you know flexible or semi-flexible for obviously for proprioceptive reasons. But how far do you take it as far as both orthotics and footwear are concerned? Personally, I like to take it as far as possible for the patient. So at the end of the day, yes, uh, being barefoot is um, natural it's perfect if you've got if you can handle it um, there's other benefits from being barefoot too but clinically when we got our patients in front of us um, it's that's just sort of the decision we have to make as to how this person can handle stress in their life so you'll have very big spectrums of patients so on one hand you'll have a patient where they need maybe a more comforting structured uh, shoe with the foot level as orthotic in it. So when it comes to, if I go maybe one step back to the orthotics, I'm definitely a fan of foot level style, which is the flexible, um, minimalistic orthotic. Mm -hmm. 
so it, there's also in and a part of my theory is something that, that of using the minimum effective dosage rule. So I own, it's like a pharmaceutical. I only want to put enough input into a person's system to create the clinical benefit because I believe you can overload a person too sure. and then create, and potentially create a negative effect. So when it comes to an orthotic, ideally the foot still needs to function at the end of the day. It needs to bounce. It needs to move. It needs to go through its phases of supination, pronation, and bounce between those phases. The problem I have sometimes with the for uh, for general use with a hard orthotic is that's going to limit that ability to do that. Mm. So the foot needs to bounce, and it's going to change through the day anyway with heat and just being on the foot. Um, so I like it that with foot levelers, they give you the ability where your foot's allowed to do its function, where the arches can uh, work, but there's a reference point. So I think of it as like a, I like to prefer to think of them as like a proprioceptive footbed. So there's these reference points for your feet um, that when they start getting tired and fatigued, that they, they get these little touch points that they can think, all right, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going too far or structurally like a little bit of support mm. at that stage. There. So personally, what I do with my own footwear is I blend my, I'm at the stage now where I blend my, my foot levelers orthotic in with a minimalist shoe. Yeah. So I've, so I, I, I do try to do a, a minimalist shoe at times, but then I, I, I fall back into my old habits. And that's something else I go into the talks as I believe we're creatures of habit. Um, and that's something else that people maybe need to uh, take on sometimes is that when they're tired, they fall back into their habits. That's what we do. And in my case, it was always my left side. So I what that's why I found when I, I, I like the benefit of being able to feel the ground more because I'm wearing a minimalist shoe like I can feel the heat on the ground or if it's cold mm. because I'm in a, a thin shoe um, but also that it's wide enough um, at the front of my foot so it allows my metatarsals to spread too and function that way um, but then I get the benefit of my uh, minimalist orthotic too when when I start fatiguing. So can you still wear those minimalist orthotics, the foot lever style orthotics or, or similar in those very unstructured shoes or are typically those unstructured shoes for no orthotics at all? No, I, I, I put, um, so I wear a minimalist shoe from the UK and um, I, I put my, my foot levelers orthotic in that shoe. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to put the foot in a perfect position. I'm just like, I, again, my reference point is that I think of it as a proprioceptive footbed. So it's, it's not there to try to stick things in place. And the, and the orthotics itself um, doesn't lose its sort of uh, structural um, ability by being in that kind of foot shoe. And I guess that's, a, that, that's the, the proprioceptive footbed. That's the key difference, isn't it? Because um, I guess the older style approach to orthotics is looking at mechanical angles and trying to you know bring someone despite the fact that they've got so much else going on with their body into a uh a, a structurally apparent perfect position um but it just doesn't allow any movement at all and that's taking away the the fact that you know we, we really have need that sensory input from the feet to drive everything else in the body mm -hmm. yeah and that that probably is the biggest mindset change that maybe people need to use or have when they um when they think about the feet is that we're, we're not looking for perfect structure at the end of the day. We, you know, this world is a big place. There's many types of people and there's many types of feet. And that's where it comes back to, I, you know, I'm originally from South Africa. And when you look at African feet, you see so many different types of feet and things 
that look so fast, yet functionally they are amazing. So that's where it's one of those calls you've got to make sometimes um, as to what to do. But that's why I want a foot that just function. And a foot in the morning is different from a foot in the evening too, because mm. it's had time. It's it's you know it's heated up. It's gone through deform you know plastic uh, sort of deformities through the day, just like our spines do. You know, with our discs from the morning to the end of the day. So how can you sometimes put in one maybe big structural support that's going to be perfect for you all day? That's why I like the idea more of a proprioceptive footbed that allows the body to function how it wants to function, but when it fatigues, it's got a reference point too. So on Friday, which is not uh, so far away, uh, you'll be speaking at the conference, I think, in the afternoon. I'll be, I'll be at that, so if, I think you'll be down for three hours then. Are you speaking on the Saturday and Sunday as well, or is it a uh, job done on Friday? Uh, no, I've got Friday for three hours, and then I've got Sunday for two. Okay, fantastic. And for people who uh, unfortunately can't make it to the conference, you'll also be speaking in other states um, uh, next week or the following week as well. So do you want to just give a rundown on what those dates and times will be? Yeah, so I'll be in um, Sydney on Monday the 10th of October. So that's two days away from now at the moment. Um, then I'll be in Melbourne on the 11th of October, and then I'll be in Adelaide on the 12th of October, and then on the Friday, yeah, so then I'll be up in Cairns. Okay, so the uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and uh, otherwise up for the big conference. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for your time. I realize that uh, amongst jet lag and squeezing this little podcast in, you've, you've, you've you know, done everything you can to make it as easy for me at my end, so I really appreciate that. Uh, for everyone listening, thanks for tuning in um, and we look forward to catching up with you again on our next CAA podcast.